Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. National unemployment rate. National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4. Sorry, I'm not sure what it is. Oh dear, already a stumble on day one. There he is, the federal opposition leader, leader of Labor, and mucking it up. The Labor leader, Anthony Albanese, Yesterday, he repeatedly tried to avoid answering a a number of questions on the economy, and I think that's the reason why. Good morning to you. Welcome to Tuesday. Nice to have you company. It is the 12th day of April. Well, Albo. Now, the official cash rate, which dictates mortgage interest rates, as well as what the unemployment figures in Tasmania and Australia are, Look, I think that's something that the leader of the opposition should know. And this faux pas, brain fade, whatever you want to call it yesterday, is already being turned into a meme being used by the Liberals. Look, eventually, Albo took a guess at the national unemployment rate, telling journalists he thought it might be 5.4%, but then he confirmed that he actually didn't know. Later in the day, he apologised for the mistake. Now, of course, the RBA cash rate has been 0.1% since November 2020, and the national unemployment rate, according to the Morrison government, is 4%. Although, and I'll talk about this a little later in the program, let's be honest, that also includes a lot of people who are underemployed. Anyway, when asked if he believed leaders should not be expected to be across every detail impacting cost of living. He said he would not enter in an auction in terms of the Tasmanian unemployment rate and the various rates that are put forward. He said that he was happy to know that the last time he filled up petrol was $2.20 a litre. I know how much the price of bread is. I know how much a litre of milk is. I know about those things that affect ordinary people. Now, on the cash rate, Albo tried to play down the significance of the figure compared to knowing interest rates would be going up in the coming years. Look, he said, we can do the old Q&A stuff over 50 different figures. That's what he said when he was first asked about interest rates. The truth is, what they have said, the Reserve Bank, is that over the coming period, there will be multiple interest rate increases regardless of who is in government. We can do the 20 question stuff through all of it. Anyway, as I said, Albo later apologised for not knowing the official cash rate. He said, earlier today I made a mistake. I'm human, but when I make a mistake, I'll fess up to it and I'll set about correcting that mistake. I won't blame someone else. I'll accept responsibility. That is what leaders do. When asked again by a reporter whether he knew what the figures are, he responded, yes, I do. 0.1 is the cash rate, which is very different from the interest rate people pay, of course, and 4% is the unemployment rate. Now, Albo had sought to make his first full day on the campaign trail about health and the care sector, 
stopping first in the ultra-marginal Liberal seat of Bass and then continuing to Braddon in northwest Tasmania. But instead, unfortunately, the day was dominated by economics. The coalition, which is trying to paint Labor and Albo as inexperienced on the economy, was of course quick to, to seize on the stumble, with Prime Minister Scott Morrison later giving the correct answers at his own press conference in New South Wales. However, he did hold back on giving it you know, both barrels to Albo for his faux pas. And I sort of understand why, because, you know, on the hop, Morrison, not long ago, couldn't recall what the cost of a loaf of bread was, or a litre of milk for that matter. Anyway, what did you make of it? Plenty of people commenting on my Facebook page. Uh, uh, the post is up there and the video as well. It was a bit of a shocker, but mistakes happen. But will it cost Anthony Albanese? On a day yesterday when new opinion poll figures came out, still showing Labor was in front, although the coalition gaining, you do have to wonder how much of a mistake this will, or how much this mistake might end up costing Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party ahead of the next election, which isn't too far away now on the 21st of May. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back on this Tuesday morning. Uh, a little more on Albo's gaff. You know he found a, an ally, if you like, from one of the strangest places possible, former Prime Minister John Howard. Dear, oh dearie me. This is after, uh, of course, Albo stumbled out of the gates uh, on the first official day of the election campaign, he was on the hustings in Tassie. He was asked by reporters if he knew what the official Reserve Bank cash rate and the national unemployment rate were. He couldn't answer either question. Anyway, coalition MPs, of course, have pounced on this uh, gaffe. It plays into their uh, narrative that they are the superior economic managers, apparently. And Mr. Albanese is inexperienced. But John Howard, of all people, defended the mistake when he was stopped by reporters in the Perth electorate of Hasluck late yesterday. Is, that, is this a serious question? He said to reporters, OK, well, Anthony Albanese didn't know the unemployment rate. So what? John Howard said. He may well have been reflecting on his own televised pre-election stumble over interest rates in an interview with A Current Affair before the 2007 election. Of course, John Howard was asked at the time if he could nominate the Reserve Bank's official rate. Mr Howard answered at 6.25%, and that was wrong. Then opposition leader Kevin Rudd, who went on to win that year's election for the Labor Party, correctly quoted the figure of 6.5% in a separate interview later that night. OK. Look, Albo made the error as he stood next to Labor's finance spokeswoman, Katie Gallagher, who was then asked whether she knew what the unemployment rate and cash rate were, and of course she did, but it didn't stop Liberal MPs yesterday saying that Albo, well, embarrassed Miss Gallagher and eventually ended up apologising not only uh, to the public, but also apparently to fellow Labor MPs, but Albo denies this. All right, on to something different now. Um, Melissa Caddick, the mystery of missing con woman. 
Melissa Caddick will be investigated by an inquest this September. The long-awaited inquest into her disappearance and suspected death has been set down for the weeks of September 12 and 26 at the New South Wales Coroner's Court at Lincoln. It was revealed yesterday. Now, her husband, hairdresser and DJ, Anthony Coletti, and her parents, Ted and Barbara Grimley, are expected to give evidence about her final moments before she was last seen in November 2020. That's after her Dover Heights mansion was raided by the Australian Federal Police and investigators with the corporate watchdog ASIC. Now, the only trace of the 49-year-old has been a foot found in a running shoe, of course, which has been linked through DNA as belonging to her after it was found on isolated Burunda Beach on the New South Wales South Coast. And that was in February of last year. Uh, nothing else has washed up as shit. <laughs> I still reckon she's out there hobbling along somewhere in the Caribbean. Anyway, the federal court has ruled that Caddick and her company, uh, Maliva Proprietary Limited, have breached corporations' law by operating without a, uh, an Australian financial services licence as she swindled $23.5 million from devastated investors, including close family members. It was all done through her illegal financial planning business. Look, it was a Ponzi scheme. That's what it was. Now, Mr. Coletti and the Grimleys, that is Melissa Caddick's parents, well, they're still fighting tooth and nail to keep their homes, which liquidators say were brought were bought with her ill-gotten gains. You know, with the <laughs> proceeds of crime, if you like. Now, there's no suggestion Mr. Coletti or the Grimleys had any knowledge of Caddick's illegal schemes. I mean, if you watched the recent Underbelly series, uh, if, you know, the <laughs> portrayal of the hairdresser and DJ Anthony Coletti is real to life, he didn't really have much of a clue about really anything. Or was that a bit nasty? I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, um, I, I would like to know where Melissa Caddick is. But more than that, and I'm sorry, uh, you know, to her former husband and her parents, those properties should be given up because people need their money back. And I can't believe that Anthony Coletti in particular is still living in the same mansion um, at Dover Heights that was raided. Yeah, they've done something wrong. Oh, a couple of people have told me. Yeah. Okay, you ready, guys? We're going to get him, and then I'm going to go on two weeks holiday. You all got that? Okay. Now you go around the side. I'll go around the front. Me, 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 me. No, no, no. We don't have any proof or any evidence. No, no. We'll just get them. Yeah. Don't worry about them. I'm going on holiday soon. Yeah, they've got millions of dollars of jewellery, luxury items, clothes and everything. I can't wait. Anyway, if you want to have your say, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or, of course, comment on the Facebook page. Alrighty, Tuesday morning, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, excuse the croakiness today. 
Look, Pauline Hanson has taken to social media following the announcements, of, and also on Sky, I think they're the only mob that'll have her on these days, and she burned a bridge at uh, the Sunrise program and also the other mob today. Anyway, Pauline writes, as I've always said, it is the people, not political parties, that control their preferences, but that doesn't mean I'll be going easy on either of the majors. Pauline writes, both major parties have taken the people's vote for granted, and I don't care if they wear a red shirt or a blue shirt. If they voted to brainwash children at school with critical race theory and twisted nonsense about gender, then I'll be calling them out, says Pauline. If they have voted in favour of these climate change targets that are destroying our economy, driving up electricity prices and the cost of living, I'll be calling them out says Pauline. If they have supported or failed to fight back against COVID-19 jab mandates and lockdowns, I'll be calling them out. Pauline also says, if they have supported mass migration or failed to support family law reform, I'll be calling them out. She's doing a lot of calling out, is Pauline. She also says, if they are a fake independent bankrolled by elitist billionaires, Pushing a globalist agenda, I'll be calling them out. With your support, says Pauline, One Nation will be making sure these fakes and failures are taught a lesson they will always remember. She concludes her little piece by saying, Together, we can make sure the voters of Australia are never taken for granted again. So says Pauline Hanson, and uh, she appeared on well, Sky News yesterday. Of course she did. I think on Monday night as well. Uh, I beg your pardon, maybe Sunday night. Uh, with Paul Murray. I love Paul Murray. Uh, he's about as right as you can get, but good on him. He has his beliefs. If you follow him on social media, every time he puts up a post about his program, which is the most watched, by the way, on Sky, he always writes, no sooks. No lefties. That's what it starts out saying. And then he rattles off, you know, a whole bunch of right-wing rap bags that appear on his program. Anyway, good on him. Uh, yeah, Paul Murray on Sky. Uh, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like to send me an email, I'd love to hear from you, of course. You can do that. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or, as always, please feel free anytime you like to make a comment on the Facebook page. All right, I was actually sent uh, a text by Julian Hill. I'll catch up with Julian, the Victorian MP. He was uh, down in Tassie um, yesterday with Anthony Albanese. He sent me a, a, a text and, and also a graphic, you know, talking about the economy. And he says that, look, the mainstream aren't reporting the facts. And he asked me to compare the pair, Labor and Liberal. Average unemployment rates. The average under a Labor government is 5.1%. The average under a Liberal coalition 5.7%. Average underemployment. Under Labor, 7%. Under the Libs, 8.6%. Average wages growth. Under Labor, 3.6%. And under the Liberals, 2.1%. Average real wages growth. Well, the Liberals, again trailing Labor, on average, 
by 0.5 of a percent. Average economic growth. Here we go. This is the real key indicator. 2.5% under Labor, 2.3% under the Liberals. Average productivity growth, 1.4% under Labor, 1.1% under the Liberals. And the average tax to gross domestic product ratio, 20.9% under Labor and 22.3% under the Liberals. So those apparently, according to Jim Chalmers, who put this graph together, are the real facts about who are the better economic managers. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, nice to have you company. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Tuesday, the 12th day of April. Well, we were warned by unions that this would be the year of the strike and paramedics across New South Wales are set to join a week-long industrial action to call for more staff and better pay. From Monday, paramedics will not leave their own station to cover shortages in other areas, as the Australian Paramedics Association New South Wales puts a ban on staff movements. According to the APA, that is, the Australian Paramedics Association, staff are routinely moved around to cover gaps in rosters. Refusing staff movements means refusing to abandon your community to help the service cover up for shortfall somewhere else. That's according to the APA New South Wales President, Chris Castellan. We want enough crews on the road to cover the rosters. This shouldn't be a radical proposal, he said. The union are demanding an additional 1,500 paramedics on the road, as well as more pay and investment in specialist training programs. Previously, the union has run similar actions over 24-hour stretches. Paramedics are at breaking point after three exhausting years responding to floods, fires and the COVID-19 pandemic, according to the union. Over the past weeks, the New South Wales Ambulance Service has been at a status three emergency declaration several times. That means paramedics were struggling to respond to life-threatening calls. Now, early yesterday afternoon, the Sydney metro area was again at status three, with 104 patients waiting for a response and only one transport ambulance available. That's according to the union. They say the government has, quote, turned its back on the service by refusing to provide basic resourcing. Dear, oh, dearie me. Uh, the union say it's heartbreaking and disappointing, but it would be a huge mistake to think that paramedics will give up. We need decisive action from the Perrottet government to guarantee a safer, fairer workplace and to improve healthcare for every resident of New South Wales. All right, well, they're up against it at the moment, aren't they? Uh, certainly, following yesterday's industrial action as well, this time around, by uh, those striking bus drivers. Now, not all of them went on strike, which was good, but many did, and they made a ruckus as they marched up and down Macquarie Street out the front of State Parliament. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. There's been a lot of talk about so-called pitch invaders, or if you like, streakers, in the National Rugby League. In fact, there were 
Many incidents over the weekend, a couple in one game alone. Uh, Now, first and foremost, uh, the woman in the bra at the Gold Coast Titans game, that female NRL streaker, she's spoken out as debate rages over whether security were heavy-handed in taking her down. I spoke about this on the program yesterday. Uh, She's been named Javon Johansson. She took to the field in just a bra and jeans, and of course she was poleaxed in a copybook tackle by security during the round five clash against the Parramatta Eels. Now, Johansson told Seven News that she got what she deserved. He, the security guard, was doing his job. Now, she also told Triple M Breakfast in Cairns, I know exactly what I did. It's been a bucket list thing and when your friends say, I dare you to do it, you don't actually think you're going to do it. It was such a surreal out-of-body experience. Now, I'm having a look at this woman. Uh, <laughs> there's a photograph of her being poleaxed. Next to it is a, a, I have to say, a stunning photograph. She's a very attractive woman. Um, anyway, good on her for agreeing that, of course, she's done the wrong thing here. She says that it's the adrenaline of the crowd. You just hear this big roar, and I was like, I need to take off my top now. I was so close to doing my bra, but I was like, no, that's a bit far. So she nearly got the you-know-what's out. She said she used to play AFL and rugby, and she has three brothers, so getting tackled wasn't a problem. The tackle was honestly fine. It was more how much air I got. I guess it it looks much worse. He could have just grabbed at me at the time and I would have fallen over. I think it's fair play, she said. I definitely took what I deserved and he should keep his jobs. (laughs) All right, well, look, there's a serious side to all of this, of course, because, and I have no problem with the overzealous, apparently, security guard tackling this woman. She could have been brandishing a knife. Anybody remember Monica Sellers when some lunatic plunged a nine centimetre, I think it was, knife into her back at a tennis court? Yeah. So you just don't know. All right, well, the ARL, that's the Australian Rugby League Commission, is expected to hold talks with their venues in coming days after a spate of pitch invasions over the weekend left the chair, Peter Volandis, concerned for the safety of the players. In the space of 24 hours, five pitch invaders, including Johansson, who I spoke about, interrupted the NRL and sent shockwaves through Rugby League Central. Wherever the hell that is. Anyone know where Rugby League Central is? All right, four of those invaders were at Point Bet Stadium on Sunday where a protester carrying a flare invaded the field. Now, this one was done by a serial pest, if you like, a a serial offender. I think he's a bloke that's tied into Blockade Australia or, or one of those mobs. Anyway, he's been jailed for running out onto the field, and I'm sure you saw the vision. He ran out onto the field, lit a flare, and all the rest of it. Now, he's been jailed for, what is it, three months. I think that's fair, to be honest, because the players, or anybody, you know, security, they could have been effectively burnt. Uh, Flares can be very dangerous. Anyway, this fly, I don't know what he was protesting, was an environment thing, I think it might have been. 
Anyway, he got his point across, but he'll be cooling his heels and not running onto any uh, football grounds for a few months. He was jailed yesterday by a Sydney magistrate. Fair cop, I think. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Uh, Yesterday, you will recall I touched on this, the ongoing delays at Sydney Airport. Um, Look, other airports around the country have been pretty bad too, but Sydney, the worst. It's our major gateway and, you know, they're apparently doing some work at the terminal. Why on earth they'd be doing it at this point in time, I don't know. They've had a couple of years off, effectively, with the pandemic. Anyway, Australians have objected to claims rusty passengers are to blame for lengthy delays at airports, pointing to another factor that Qantas doesn't want to talk about, the sacking of thousands of its employees. Yeah, Joyce, the leprechaun, should have shut his mouth and not said a damn thing the other day. It was always going to come back and bite him on the ass. As you know, there have been huge delays at Sydney Airport for days, with photos showing long lines stretching out of the domestic terminals onto the road from 5am over the weekend. More pain is expected this weekend, as Australians enjoyed the Easter long weekend. Now, the Qantas boss, the chief executive, Joyce, appeared on ABC News Breakfast yesterday morning to apologise to passengers and said the delays were caused by a number of factors including high absenteeism levels among security staff, which is managed by the airports, not airlines. Up to 50% of security staff apparently had not shown up for work, including because they are close contacts of a COVID positive case in certain states. That's according to the Qantas boss. However, New South Wales is one state that does not require close contacts to isolate, as you know. Now, Joyce said, we are also seeing that passengers are rusty in travelling as well. Adding, this was happening to all of us. I left my passport in my hotel safe. One of my colleagues left her passport on a BA flight. Oh, third world problems, Joycey. Imagine saying that. Oh, well, I left my passport in the safe at the five-star Marriott I was staying at. Uh, As you can tell, I'm not a fan. Uh, Mainly because the bloke outsources jobs and sacks people. Anyway, Mr. Joyce said more people were having... I I love Qantas, don't get me wrong. It's just (laughs) the CEO. I don't know, something about him. Anyway, he said more people were having to be re-screened at Sydney Airport prior to the pandemic. He said this was only necessary for 10% of travellers but it's climbed up to 30%, which takes an extra, what, 45 seconds to a minute. That's each person. So we're trying to encourage passengers now to think if they have aerosols in their bags, do they have laptops, keys on them, to get ready before they get to the top of the security desk. Uh, Look, on the Gold Coast and other airports around the country, you don't need to take your laptops out. Certainly aerosols, but... Your laptops don't need to be taken out. Why does not Sydney Airport, the major gateway to the country, have this technology in place yet? Anyway, of course, Joyce watered down some earlier suggestions. The match fitness of customers was to blame for the lengthy delays at Sydney Airport. Just to be clear, I'm not blaming passengers. Of course, it's not their fault, Mr Joyce said. 
<laughs> However, some Australians were not buying the explanation, pointing out that Qantas sacked many employees in 2020 at the height of the pandemic, despite being the biggest beneficiary of the federal government's JobKeeper program. You know how much Qantas got? $1.6 billion in support. Yep. That's why each and every one of us should get a free domestic flight. We keep propping up a private enterprise. Anyway, Qantas Group uh, Executive for Corporate Affairs, Andrew McGuinness, defended its decision to outsource 2,000 ground staff in a bid to lower costs at a parliamentary inquiry last year. At that time, he told senators, our view of the ground handling roles were, unfortunately, because of the changes we need to make in our business overall, those jobs were not sustainable beyond the pandemic. But the Transport Workers Union brought a case against Qantas about the outsourcing, which was ultimately supported by the federal court. Justice Michael Lee was reportedly not convinced the decision to outsource the jobs was not linked in part to the fact the majority of employers were union members and had various workplace rights under enterprise bargaining agreements. Qantas was expected to pay the workers' compensation but they were not able to get their jobs back. Now, yeah, uh, look, uh, the pandemic has been crushing on the aviation industry. There's no doubt about that. And I understand that they needed to cut costs. And at the time as well, they most likely needed to stand people down because, well, there were no flights. Anyway, more recently, Qantas has blindsided its flight attendants by seeking to tear up their current work agreement, forcing 2,500 uh, flight attendants onto the, quote, modern award, which would see them take a hit to their paying conditions under a new deal. I wonder whether Alan Joyce would take a, what, a hit to his pay? No? No, I didn't think so. Qantas has insisted it has no other option after cabin crew voted against a new four-year deal back in December. The actions are being criticised by unions and some are also linking them to the chaos now unfolding in the airports. Qantas and Sydney airports were incessant during the pandemic with demands that travel restrictions be lifted. They were... When they finally were, both had decided they'd rather enjoy extra profits by not employing the extra staff needed. Our time queuing is extra money for them. That's according to the editor of Crikey magazine, Bernard Keane. I think he's right. One man who appeared to have travelled on Thursday tweeted, things were a little bit slower than normal at Sydney on Thursday, but no signs of rust. Everyone did the usual things to check in and get through security. Security folk efficient. There was definitely a visible lack of staff though, so maybe it's the airlines that are rusty, this traveller suggested. Anyway, another woman tweeted, Qantas's boss got millions, well, let's rephrase that, 1.6 billion in JobKeeper and government grants, sacked everyone and lobbied against keeping masks and restrictions. Now he has inexperienced workers, many of whom are now sick with COVID and wonders why they are struggling. See, I told you, Mr. Joyce, it'd come back and bite you on the butt, Marcus Paul, in the morning. I still like Qantas, just not him.
All right, welcome back. Um, Andrew Constance. Oh, before I get to Andrew, uh, part of his legacy means that the new Emerald class ferries are sick, man, so sick they're going to get airborne. Um, you, you caught up with that story. Uh, yet another uh, report out says that the Emerald class, if they travel a little too close to a certain area uh, around the heads on the trip to Manly, and they encounter some... I don't know, uh, some waves of a certain height. The risk is that these ferries will become airborne. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Anyway, thank you to Andrew Constance, who, uh, you know, uh, ditched the people of New South Wales after leaving them, you know, basically with ferries that are crap. And, uh, you know, a light rail that just doesn't operate in the inner west and other issues. Anyway... Constance yesterday defended his run for the federal seat of Gilmore in a tense interview. The former New South Wales minister, minister, remember, minister for transport, he spent yesterday campaigning alongside Prime Minister Scott Morrison in the South Coast seat. Now, Mr Constance was vocally critical, remember, of the Prime Minister during the 2019-20 bushfires, saying he got the welcome he deserved during an awkward trip to Cabago in January 2020. Remember that trip where ScoMo forced a woman to shake his hand and some other fiery who yelled out the side of his fire truck, something that I really can't mention here. Anyway, he wasn't, he wasn't real happy. Anyway, yesterday it would appear that everything is hunky-dory between Andrew Constance and also Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Yesterday, Mr Constance strongly rejected accusations his platform of supporting fire victims was incompatible with the Liberal Party's track record on climate change. He was speaking to Andy Park on ABC's Radio National and Mr Constance traded barbs with the presenter. Good on him. Well done to Andy. He asked why Mr Constance was running for the party with the softer emissions reduction target. Uh, Park asked, are you now asking constituents to forget the forced handshakes, to wallpaper over their anger and just vote for you anyway? And Mr Constance called the question wrong and offensive. No, Andrew, your <laughs> fairies are offensive. Anyway, he declared his focus remained helping the community and fire victims to recover. Maybe he can ask ScoMo to open up the purse strings, you know, out of that, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, disaster fund that hasn't been touched. Anyway, he goes on to say, the community is in enormous trauma. I worked every day for the best part of two years and three months since the fire event. I'm still working to support fire victims right now. Uh, when people are exhausted, they don't need a gob full of politics. They just need a positive campaign, and that's what I'm focused on. Uh, Mr Park then told the elect election hopeful he couldn't have it both ways, to which Mr Constance replied, Why not? I'm fiercely an advocate for the region I love. We were put through hell with firestorms. I wasn't afraid of standing up for the community to the government, he said. Uh, that's not having it both ways, that's doing what you should do. 
All right, well, the Liberal Party is aiming to beat its Paris Agreement target of reducing emissions by 26 to 28% on 2005 levels by the end of this decade. Yeah. While Labor announced an emissions reductions target, of course, of 43% during the same period, Mr Constance said business will smash the Liberal Party's target. All right. He added he wouldn't abandon his ideology of liberalism. My natural inclination is to make sure that business and government are aligned in their thinking, Mr Constant said. The Morrison government's investing a billion dollars into hydrogen. I don't see that reported by the media. Uh, yes, Andrew, it was. Anyway, Constance, how do you think he's going to go down there? Will the local... Well, look, if he was running for a seat in Sydney, he'd have you know, Buckley's chance after the mess he made of public transport. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Do you think he'll he'll get elected to a federal seat? If he does, it's probably going to mean a losing government anyway. <laughs> a losing party, I should say. I don't know. Anyway, leave your thoughts. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au for your emails or on the Facebook page, of course. Yeah, welcome back. On to something lighter and yummier. Hot cross buns. Look, with Easter coming up this weekend, uh, I have to say, uh, look, I'm, I'm trying to lose a, a little weight for the wedding. So I've kind of cut back on the carbs. Although, I have to say this weekend, I may... Oh, who am I trying to kid? I've already had a couple. Anyway, traditional hot cross buns. I love them. And I like the Cadbury chocolate as well, um, Easter eggs. So maybe, uh, the, not that I'm necessarily on a diet, I'm just trying to watch what I eat and lose a bit of weight and, you know, um, trying to look as good as I can for September uh, for the Darling Ash. But anyway, bakeries, we're told, are putting a new twist on the Easter favourite hot cross buns. And they're asking, perhaps, whether this is the end of the traditional hot cross bun. I hope not. I really hope not. I mean, I understand that bakeries right across Australia are, are putting a new twist on the Easter favourite, and that's fine. And I think these days you can get hot cross buns from Woolies that include, speaking of chocolate, Cadbury Caramilk hot cross buns. There you go. They've been unveiled in the last week or so. And uh, look, they've asked the question, does anyone still eat a traditional hot cross bun anymore? Yes. My hands up. And what I like to do is I put them in the microwave for five seconds. Just one for five seconds. Break it in half, dab some butter on, let it melt and go, mm, yum. But I understand that others mightn't like the traditional ones and they might go the new ones, you know, whether it's the Cadbury one, whatever. Anyway, bakeries and cafes are asking uh, the question, does anyone still eat a traditional hot cross bun anymore? Uh, more and more customers, we're told, have an appetite for the Easter treat with a twist. The Glenory Bakery, which recently was awarded the best bakery and cake store in the national category at the Australian Small Business Champions Award, they're upping the ante this Easter. They're offering hot cross buns filled with Biscoff and Nutella. I'll oh, stop it. Nutella? All right, then. You've won me over. I certainly need to try those. The owner, Rob Pirina, 
said whether to enjoy a, a, a traditional hot cross bun or one without fruit is the debate that divides the nation. For his bakery, which cooks 1,000 hot cross buns a day during this period, the consensus is that customers want something different. Hot cross buns without fruit. So whether that's got chocolate chips or Nutella all together, do outsell the traditional option, he said. Nutella particularly is our big seller. Things have got out of hand and we are buying pallets of the stuff. <laughs> mm, I wish somebody would deliver me a pallet of Nutella. Anyway, while Glenori is a town, home to 4,000 people, Perina has customers that order from all across Sydney. Good on him. Well done. He's obviously got a, a brilliant small business operating there. Anyway, there are others right around Sydney who are offering a twist as well. Um, the Banksia Bakehouse, which is in the uh, in the city of Sydney. Wow, look at their hot cross buns. They're more pastry than anything else, but they've got their traditional cross on the top. And uh, they combine uh, their hot cross bun with a croissant and it's presented in a cube shape. The Easter cube sont, that's what they call it. Not a croissant, but a cube sont. Still has a croissant on the top. It's a specialty dessert available to buy for $12 up until April 15, they say. The cube features layers of flaky pastry with a cinnamon creme patisserie setter filled with sultanas. Oh, yeah. See, I'd go that. that I mean, because it's still got some of the traditional fruit. There are others um, that, you know, use uh, the term hot cross bun. Uh, well, when I say use, they take liberty. If you look at this uh, bar Mamoni in the newly named Key Quarters in Circular Key, that venue is also mixing up the hot cross bun game. The newly opened venue at Hinchcliffe Hinchcliffe House have been offering up a hot cross boussant over the last couple of weeks. What the hell's that? Well, it looks, or looks delish. It's a croissant pastry in a donut shape filled with baked almond cream, vanilla custard, and Easter soaked fruits, including dried figs, dried apricots, sultanas, and currants that are soaked in brandy. The fruit itself sits in the middle of the donut shape. Uh, look, there's just so many. Um, Tokyo Lamington at Newtown. What a great name for a bakery. Um, that cafe and bakery has made a living from offering different types of Lamingtons over the years. They've taken that approach to a hot cross bun, so they've made a hot cross Lamington, effectively. And that looks quite nice as well. Anyway, for me, though, I still go uh, the traditional hot cross bun. You know, the ones with the sultanas and all the rest of it. And like I say, I put it in the microwave for a little five seconds and then just smear the butter on top, let it melt in and off you go. What about you? What's your favourite hot cross bun? Let me know. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au or comment on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Tuesday. Look, I'll, I'll confess, I'm not a Silverchair fan. I've, I've never really liked uh, 
that Johns guy is about to say Matthew Johns. Anyway, both from Newcastle. Daniel Johns uh, from Silverchair. Just, I don't know, I'm not really into that kind of music. But I understand that they are very talented and I think he's got some problems. So the former Silverchair frontman, Daniel Johns, will be sentenced in June after he pled guilty to high-range drink driving. The rock star will have to undergo a sentencing assessment before learning his fate after he blew 0.157 following a Pacific Highway crash last month. 0.157? What's that? Ooh, that's well over the limit, obviously. A magistrate has requested a sentencing assessment before he decides the fate of Daniel Johns after the rock star formally pled guilty to this high-range drink driving charge. Uh, He registered, as I mentioned, 0.157 after being involved in a crash on the Pacific Highway near Tea Gardens. Uh, This happened, what, a month or so ago. Now, unfortunately, a woman was injured in the crash, which occurred after Johns drove out of a service station and drove north on the southbound lanes. Really? North on the southbound lanes. What an idiot. The former Silverchair frontman remains in a rehab centre for his ongoing battle with alcohol and mental illness, and he didn't front Raymond Terrace local court when his case was briefly mentioned. Uh, maybe I'll take back the idiot thing, but I mean, really? Driving north on the southbound lanes on the M1? I mean, he's damn lucky people weren't killed. His lawyer, Brian Wrench, formally entered the guilty plea to high-range drink driving before Magistrate Ian Cheatham adjourned the matter until June. Now, Mr Cheatham requested a sentencing assessment report from Newcastle Community Corrections and ordered Johns to contact the Corrections Office within seven days. Now, it's... Look, unfortunately, it's not the first time the former frontman of Silverchair has been charged with drink driving. He was fined $880 and had his license disqualified after he was pulled over in a suburban Merriweather Street back in 2014 for speeding. On that occasion, Johns said he had four large glasses of wine in three hours and he registered a blood alcohol level of 0.124, just under what he's been pinged for in the last month. Now, back then, he was ordered to undergo a traffic offender's course before being sentenced. The day after being charged with a high-range drink driving offence, Johns revealed on Instagram that he had been uh, self-medicating with alcohol as he battled recent panic attacks due to suffering ongoing depression, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, look, I'm not... um, I would never make light, of course, of, of mental illness. And his mental health is a work in progress. Um, but I, you know, you've, you've got to remember, his mental health isn't the problem of other innocent people on the road. And, you know, if he's self-medicating with alcohol, perhaps he shouldn't be behind a wheel, eh? Anyway, he said that he has good days and bad days, but it's something he always has to manage. 
Over the last week, I began to experience panic attacks. Last night, I got lost while driving and I was in an accident. I'm okay, everyone is okay. Alongside my therapy, he writes, I've been self-medicating with alcohol to deal with my anxiety and depression. I know this is not sustainable or healthy. Look, at least he admits that, you know, he does have to sort things out. I have to step back now as I'm self-admitting to a rehabilitation centre and I don't know how long we'll be there. Appreciate your love and support as always. The musician has been regularly engaging with his 90,000 plus followers on Instagram in the lead up to the release of his first new music in seven years. Look, I wish him all the best and I hope he does get the help that he needs. But I think until he does, he needs to damn well stay off the roads. Okay, well, that's it for today's program. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your company. Um, I hope I haven't rabbited on too much. (laughs) I always like giving bite-sized chunks of news, a bit of opinion thrown in as well. I wonder who's going to muck up today on the election trail. Make no mistake, I think Anthony Albanese will certainly be taking a crash course on, you know, what the economic indicators are leading into the the 21st of next month's ballot. Anyway, uh, was his mistake regrettable yesterday? Absolutely it was. Is it terminal? No, I don't think so. Although, expect the far right, um, a lot of the mainstream including obvious offenders, Sky and 2GB to go hard on Albo over the uh, the coming weeks. And uh, no doubt uh, I've seen, you know, the Liberal Party already on social media using the video uh, and again attacking Anthony Albanese on it. But all's fair in love and politics, hey? And if, uh, let's be honest, if, if it was ScoMo that Uh, made that faux pas yesterday, Labor would be doing exactly the same thing. Okay, if you would like to comment on any of the stories that I've mentioned, please do so um, on the Facebook page. I always welcome you, always welcome your emails as well. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Enjoy the rest of your day. Please stay safe. And we'll chat again tomorrow morning, 7 to 9 on starterfm.com.au and of course on iHeartRadio. Tune in, your favourite streaming platform of course. Uh, The Prawncast will be up a little later as well. Please share it far and wide on your socials. Have a great day. Marcus Paul in the morning. Bye for now. 